You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We, uh, we continue in this conversation that uh, we're going through uh, every sentence, every paragraph of a book called Philippians. I never like to take for granted. And I don't particularly care to come into a room sometimes and I don't know what's going on. So I always kind of like to catch people up if you're not familiar with the Bible. Uh, there are many Bible, there are books we call them in the Bible, in fact, 66. And uh, in, in the uh, uh, New Testament, there are some books that we would call like Philippians. That is uh, is actually letters. So there's some letters that are written, and uh, these letters were written by people like John, the Apostle John, one of Jesus's disciples. Uh, Peter wrote uh, a couple of letters. Paul wrote a number of letters, and this is one of those letters. So when we're in the book of what's called Philippians, it is to a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church just like this uh, in in the city of Philippi. And so um, Paul, the interesting thing as we've seen each week as Paul is writing from a prison. And uh, we have taken this theme and we've seen this theme of anyway. We've seen that Paul said, hey, I, even though I'm in prison, the work doesn't rest entirely on me. I want the, the, the work to go forth anyway. Some people were outside preaching the gospel with nefarious uh, motivations for their own gain. He said, hey, that's okay. They're preaching the gospel, the good news of Christ anyway. And so uh, we've just seen this theme kind of permeating. Now we take a significant shift as we turn to the second chapter. Now, let me just say, remind you that when Paul's writing a letter, he's not like, okay, now chapter two. We have made those divisions along along the trail of history, but uh, for us, it makes it easier. But we see a significant shift in Paul's letter. In fact, he was, it's kind of nuts and bolts in the first chapter in that here's how things are operating. Somebody's doing this. That's okay. Anyway, I'm in prison. That's okay. Anyway. And now we become, we come to a place where I would propose to you that it is one of the most profound core essence beliefs that we have as Christ followers. Why is this important? I'm not really in anymore. I've kind of passed that stage in my life where I just, you know, kind of get a spiritual high over just gathering together and and uh, just talking about the nitty gritties of, you know, theology and doctrine and whatnot. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, but this I just remind you that when we gather is a locker room. It's a it is a staging, so to speak. For, for God to use us in the world. It is not just to be gathered here just so that we can get a little more Bible smart, that we can get a little bit more you know, intellectual in, in, in a biblical sense. All those things are, are fine. So I don't want to you know, save your emails, but, I, uh, but uh, those things are important. I get it. But far too often we've gathered and, and we've just gathered together to get a little bit more information and we take what we learn and we, and we leave it right here. Why I'm saying that is I think that the essence, you, you may be asked in your everyday life, wherever you work, live, and play, who's Jesus? Why is it so important? How is he different than any other faith leader? Why, why, would, you, why would you view him? Why would you give your life, commit your life to following someone that you've never physically seen? That's a reasonable question. And I think the reason, I hope that you'll walk away today, we're going to talk about several things, but one essence thing that I hope that you'll see 
today in, in Paul's letter that is a takeaway that allows us to share who the essence of Christ is, and it is profoundly beautiful. So when we, when we begin to look at the scriptures, we're going we're gonna to get to that second chapter, but I got a strange question as we begin. How tall do you think God is? How tall do you think he is? Do you think he's 10 foot tall? Do you think he's as tall as the universe? Do you think he's taller than the universe? I know it's a crazy question. But here's one thing that we know, that he's taller than all of us. In other words, he's above us. And that plays into the, to the platforming of what Paul is about to write. His compassion is taller. His intelligence is taller. His creativity is taller. Everything about God is taller than we are. His love is taller. His, his mercy is taller. We can't have as tall of anything as God has. And when we look at this, what happens in, in that mindset, when we, when we can rest and embrace that. And I would say that this, this is a, a very universal thought, if I might even broaden our thinking today, that many people believe that their deity, whoever that might be in their own lives, is taller than they are. But Christ comes along and he quantifies this. He, he gives us a detail, not in just what he has said, but how he's lived. And so we find that he is tall. The thing that angered people around Jesus when he was speaking was that he made a statement. I am as tall as God. I am as tall as God the Father. I am as tall as God. And that just wiped people out. Like, whoa, 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 wait. What you are saying is that you are equal to God by what you, the, the remarks that you're making. And Jesus did not deny this. I'm going to give you a few examples. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, there was a man who couldn't walk, son, your sins are forgiven. That made Jesus as tall as God in that moment. It made him equal to the Father because only the Father could forgive sins. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk that tall? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You have said, Jesus, that you can forgive sins, so only God can do that. In John chapter 5 and verse 18, Jesus said, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking their law of Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. And in that culture, everybody understood what that means. Making him as tall as God. Making him equal to God. They wanted to kill him. Finally, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the father are equally tall. We're exactly the same. We're equals on the same level. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you great miracles from the Father that no human being alone could do. For which of these miracles are you getting ready to kill me? We are not stoning you for the miracles 
The Jews replied, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man claiming to be as tall as God. So as we look in this, this is a cornerstone to biblical Christianity. And that is that Christ was fully man and Christ was fully God. If Christ was not fully man and fully God, everything falls apart. It's not just a, a nifty uh, angle of belief. They're like, well, that's kind of cool. No. If God, if God had come to the planet and only been God and not fully man, then Jesus would not have taken on the skin of humanity. He would not have understood us like we find later in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. He said he was tempted in every way as a man. God can't be tempted, but as a man, he sympathizes, he empathizes. He is our advocate standing at the right hand of the Father as our lawyer in heaven, and he could not have done that. He had to come through the, the, the lineage of, of man and become our substitute on the cross as a human being. But at the same time, he had to be perfected and bypass, I'm going to get a little heavy, bypass the bloodline of Adam that we all have. And he did that through a genius plan, an ingenious plan, which was come through the virgin births so he wouldn't be tainted with Adam's blood. Oh, brilliant plan. Brilliant plan. Now here's the interesting thing when you when you look at uh, this belief. Now I started by saying I want you to take one core thing away. That's not the core thing. There is something that is even more amazing because that's an amazing thing, and it's amazing claim. Sometimes I think we forget. What an incredible, miraculous claim. We get, we, we get used to saying things, and it becomes a, normal, uh, you know, a normalized uh, um, vocabulary for us as Christians. But sometimes it's very difficult for someone to cross a threshold and believe that Christ was actually God in the flesh, that he was equal to God. But I'm going to propose to you that there's even something even more profound than that today. And I believe it shows the essence because if he were if he were just fully God and fully man, we're like, wow, that is that's super powerful. But Christ takes it one more step and it even takes it to a more powerful place. It's interesting, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is found respectfully in the in the Quran. Jesus is listed in the Quran as a as a prophet. Jesus' miracles are listed in the in the Quran. They are, they are, to be honest with you, they're not often spoken about because I I believe that that they're overlooked at times because of this one thing. One of the the, the distinguishing uh, differences, remarkably, if I had a, um, a you know a. A fellow human being here that was a Muslim, we would have, we could have a, an, you know, a reasonable and uh, respectful conversation. We both would agree to the same thing. So it's not throwing rocks, but that we would both agree to the same thing. That the distinct one of the the fundamental distinguishing marks is that Christ was God in the flesh. 
So even after all the miracles that are listed in the Quran, after seeing Christ as a prophet and, a, and, and, uh, and many other things about Christ, the divining line is that we believe that what Christ was saying, that he was equal to God, and that's a dividing line. When we come to this place, it is a must for us, but then again, he takes it to a different level. Philippians chapter 2 in the very first verse. Paul writes these words. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, in other words, if it, God has done anything in your life, if tenderness and any, if you got any tenderness and compassion, then while I'm sitting in this jail cell, would you make me happy? Would you make my joy complete by at least being like-minded and having uh, the same love? being in one spirit, being in one purpose, would you do that? Because that's, that's the critical thing here. And then he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Watch. But in humility, this is the core of our conversation today. Consider, think about, hey, would you, would you just give us some thought that others would be better than you? The, Jesus said the great commandment is to love God with all your strength, heart, mind, soul, but love your neighbors as you love yourself. And Paul just amped it up one more step. Not as yourself, better than yourself. He says, would you make me, me happy by considering others to be better than yourselves? Each of you should not look only to your own interests. I like that he put that. Hey, you know, we got to brush our teeth and, you know, comb our hair and live somewhere, right? Put clothes on our back. So he's not saying, hey, just, just you know, forget it completely about yourself. But he uses this word. He says, each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, of Christ Jesus. And here it is who being very, in, in very nature, God, that is the distinguishing point that we've I've been talking about all to this point, that being in very nature, at the very core, the very essence, that he is God, there would, unashamedly, he is God. He did not consider this equality, being tall as God, being equal to God, he did not consider Equality with God, something to be grasped. Now, let me tell you, let's make sure we understand that word. Like some, hey, do you grasp what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get that. No, it's not, that's not the reference here. Grasped means uh, you gave an Oreo to a two-year-old and you want it back. That's a grasp. <laughs> right? Let me just have that back just for a second. <laughs> that's what we're talking about, right? So equality with God for Jesus was not something to be held on to, like, I'm not letting this go, but he made himself nothing. nothing. Let me repeat. He made himself nothing. It was his option. It was his choice. He was not made to do it. He made himself uh, uh Nothing, and I love some versions say he emptied himself. Okay, taking the very nature of a human being, of a servant, being made in human likeness. So we see the God part and the man part, 
And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled, say the next word with me, himself. It was his choice. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Okay, let me put it in a nutshell. It is a distinguishing mark of Christ's followers that Christ was fully God and fully man, but he was divine, equal to God. But more profoundly beautiful is that it was, his not, it was not his nature to come down to the earth with all this power equal to God, as tall as God, and use it for himself, use it for gain, use it for just a power show for all the hype. He came and he emptied himself of the equality of God to be with us for the sake of others more than the sake of himself. That's a Jesus that I will follow. Not just, wow, powerful. Boy, this God is just powerful. Look, he stopped the storm. Wow, he healed the blind man. No, all of that pales into comparison that Christ was in the opulence and the brilliance and the perfection of heaven and was willing to humble himself and empty himself and come to the planet for us. It, it epitomizes the humility of our Savior. And that is someone I can follow. Amen. That is, that's powerful. So if you're describing Christ... Find a simple way to say that Christ was equal to God, but it wasn't something that he just held on to and said, I'm not coming to earth. It's funny when you rethink of these words. It's uh, it, when he says he emptied himself, I think we have to clarify something. And uh, I was driving this week. Some of you know I sometimes run low on gas. I wait for the light to come on. I feel it's not efficient to have to stop at the half tank. For those of you that feel efficient by stopping at the half tank, you're stopping twice as much as I am. So I have strategized this. I've written it out on paper. It's better take it to the light status. So I'm downtown Sarasota. I look at... I stop in to pick up something to do that, uh, some food, and I notice, uh-oh, there's only four miles because, you know, it will tell you on your, you know, your car dashboard how many miles of gas you have left, which I'm very thankful for that new feature, you know, that's on our cars, by the way. Four miles. I'm like, wow, I'm downtown. I can't even think of any gas stations down here, so I asked the guy I'm getting my food from, I'm like, hey, do you have any gas stations nearby? He goes, oh, yeah, there's one up at the corner of uh, 301 and uh, Fruitville. I'm like, oh, perfect. So I get there. Of course, it's a traffic jam. I felt like I was in New York City. I, I got down to two miles on the, on the dashboard, at which point I cut all air condition and anything running. No lights. Good thing it wasn't tonight. I don't even know if it has anything to do with gas because I'm a, a moron when it comes to car. But... I'm almost there. I'm almost through the light, and by golly, it's down to one mile. Oh, yeah. And finally, my friends, I have reached a new place of octane nirvana. And I brought a picture just to celebrate with you.
And if you don't think that's hard, I challenge you to try it. Oh, yeah. I rolled in, that thing turned to zero. I'm like, best day of the year so far. Thank you. <laughs> kind of proud at this moment. <laughs> a little tear. <laughs> Had I kept going, I would have emptied myself of power. Christ, this is a key, emptied himself not of power, but of privilege. He emptied himself, not of power. When he came to earth, he didn't lose his power. But he emptied himself of privilege. God is not asking us to lose our power in Christ. He's asking us to lose our privilege. Our privilege. Christ was up here, privileged to be with God the Father, privileged above, and he became underprivileged. See, it's a challenging thing when we're privileged, and we would agree, and it's not a cut. I say it often just to kind of keep us calibrated. We live in a privileged culture. Come on, we know that. The fact that I even have a car, to be honest with you, is a privilege. The fact that we even have air conditioning running in this place today is a, is a privilege. And we, because we swim in it, we know it's natural to have privilege normalized in our life. This is not a, a message to, you know, whip ourselves in the back because we live in this culture. But I do think this process, this mindset, probably is a better word, this mindset is so important for us to embrace because what is said next is so important in Second Philippians chapter 2. And just kind of backing up here to, to verse 4, each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your mindset, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Guys, that's difficult. That's difficult. The first one is difficult, to, is a mind thing. Hey, wow, Christ is God. He emptied himself of that. Like, wow, this is a life thing. To have the same attitude, the same actions, the same motives, to empty ourselves. Because here's the thing. Once we have privilege, it causes us to hold on to it tighter. Once we have things that, once we have that Oreo, boy, is it tough to give up. I was recently reading about the, uh, Millard Fuller. You guys know Millard Fuller. He was the founder of um, of Habitat for Humanity. My wife and I have been with Miller actually a number of times. He's with the Lord now, but we have been with him several times. In fact, it was a big 20th anniversary in Atlanta. We were there. I was asked to write music for it, and it was a, it was a big deal. When you were around Miller, Millard, he was, a, he was a powerhouse. He really, he had a way about him. One of those guys that walked into a room and you knew who was in charge. And at the same time, he had a humility. And if you, if you read his story, it's really fascinating because when he was 29 years old, he had gone to Auburn, he was a business major, and then he stayed on to get his law degree. 
And by the time he would reach 29 years old, he had, he had reached his first million dollars. And the, and the privilege of that wrecked his life. He didn't know how to handle it. His marriage was hanging on by a thread. And he said, I've got to step back from this because this, this, all of this privilege is just contaminating my life, human life and my life with God. And he did something so rare that it's just, we read about it in the Bible, but you don't hear about it a lot in life. And he sold everything. He spent years helping people and farming and building. He went to Africa for, for five years. And then he came back and started helping people build homes, and that was the impetus. But it was because he emptied himself and had the same attitude of Christ. Now, are we going to do that? Most of us probably are not going to go home and sell everything, and God is not asking for that. God is asking for us to have the same attitude. Now, unless you think we're talking only about material stuff, it's so much deeper than that. And I think it's deeper than that because there is a spiritual privilege, a spiritual wealth, let's say, and a spiritual poverty. So we could spend the rest of our time saying, hey, you know, we need to be more giving and with our material stuff, hey, let's let's get beyond the obvious. We know that. That would, you know, if you wrestle with that, hey, keep wrestling with it. God, there's a great joy when you finally let go of that Oreo. But let's not let's not spend our I want to I want to talk about something I that's that is eternal. And that is that there is a spiritual wealth and a spiritual uh, poverty. There's a spiritual privilege and there's, there's being spiritually underprivileged. Here's what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul, who wrote the same letter to the Philippians, wrote a, to a letter to the church in a city called Corinth. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, there it is, Philippians 2, for others, to consider others better, but for your sake, he became impoverished. He became poor. Why? So that through your poverty, th- I'm sorry, through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, of course, we got a lot of preachers around the world saying, see, God wants to give you, everybody give a lot of money, you know? Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> He's saying spiritually rich. We're speaking about our spirit, our inner life. That Christ emptied himself of being close to the Father, agonized on the cross, asking the Father, why have you forsaken me? All that we, so that we could have this spiritual wealth. What is that spiritual wealth? It's that Christ died on a cross, that we might have peace with God finally. That we wouldn't have to keep offering sacrifices. That we wouldn't have to keep doing religious service and just hoping that everything is cool. That we wouldn't have to get our act together and wonder when we lay our head on the pillow tonight if it was enough. There was a B plus to be okay with God or was a C minus to be okay with God. That all that was done when Christ extended his arms and poured out, emptied himself on the cross. As we have celebrated today when Jesus was sitting at that table with his best friends. At the Last Supper, he said, this is my life. This is my blood poured out for you. And he extended his arms and he said, it is finished. 
Your quest to be good enough is finished. Your quest of being religious enough is finished. Your, your quest enough to reach nirvana or spirituality or whatever that thing is, it's finished because there's only one way from you to the Father, and it is through the perfect Lamb of God who's extended his love, his very, very, very tall love to the world. Amen. And when he made that happen, not only, it didn't stop there. Because Christ was not crucified just for our sins and laying in some grave. He had to come back and beat death. And when he came back and beat death, unless he came back and beat death, he couldn't go to the Father and be our advocate. And now he's our advocate and the great distributor of the Spirit of God. That's why I said I must fall to the ground. The seed must fall to the ground so that I can do greater things. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this for God who said in Genesis chapter 1, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now we are rich. Why? Because we have treasure. We've got Fort Knox in these jars of clay. We have the treasure of the Spirit of God within us to show us that this all-surpassing power that is breathing through us is from God and not us. Amen. Now we have become rich. We have become privileged, but we must empty ourselves, not our power, not the power that we just read about, not the power, but our pride, our comfort. Why? To share to the world there is a God who loves you so much, so deeply, whose love is taller than you can ever imagine. His, he will make you rich in your life, not your bios, but your Zoe, your inner life. He will make you rich there. Don't miss this. We're not talking about physical underprivileged. We're talking about emptying ourselves. All the things, even fear. God, I'm going to empty my fear. And I must go and, and share we have a Savior that's worth following. One more thing I want to leave with you, and that is, here's the trick about our culture. It's, and it's tricky. It really is. We look fine. We look fine. If you've ever stepped out of a plane in, an, in another country that's impoverished, it will take you about 12 seconds to figure out you're no longer in Kansas, Toto. Mm, you will smell the poverty. You'll hear the poverty. You'll see the poverty. You might touch the poverty. And it is so obvious. Sometimes it's alarming. Sometimes it, it breaks you. Uh, just the sometimes just the utter absolute bottom of underprivileged physically. We can go to Publix today or Whole Foods or you know whatever your mix is, and all we look fine, and we can be tricked by saying, "Why Jesus? Why would I talk to anybody about Christ or God or?" Being, being in tune with God and exchanging our old life for, for a new one because our old life looks okay, right? But we have to see things as God sees them. 
and see our world as if if you walked out of a plane it's not it's it's super hard not to want to just empty your pockets when you're in poverty to like hey i gotta give to him i gotta give to him oh man it's just you just you have this urge to like i'm just gonna sell everything just give it away and then you know next month you'd be faced with the same impoverished issues because it's a global but what if god saw us as as uh, around us not in a critical way, but spiritually impoverished. If we could put a, a new set of glasses on and look and think, man, there's, there's spiritual underprivileged all around us. And, and like Christ emptied himself for us when we were underprivileged spiritually, I'm going to do the same. As moved as we would be in physical poverty, I think if we could see that, impo- that that poverty, spiritual poverty around us, we'd be less critical. We'd point our fingers less at other religions. We'd point our fingers less at those who are not like us, who have a different lifestyle as us. We'd point our fingers less because who in their right mind would step off an airplane and point and laugh at someone who's blind on the street with barely any clothes and sores on, on their skin and say, ha, glad I'm not like you. Who in the right mind in this room are you tuning in would ever do that? And we can never do that to our fellow human beings who are broken and they have spiritual sores spiritual blindness and we can never point our finger we can only extend the good news of christ and saying i'm i'm rich because christ became poor it's not that christ was rich and tall and equal to god guys listen it's that he became poor that is our message that is a savior who humbled himself i was reading a little bit about um Jonah this past week and he was going to go to Nineveh he was called to go to Nineveh and the problem with Nineveh was that they looked just fine think New York City that was Nineveh in fact uh, Zephaniah a book in the Old Testament says about Nineveh uh, about um, Nineveh uh, Babylon uh, this this is the carefree city that's lived in safety and she said to herself, I am, and there's none beside me. We are the city. So you look at that, I'm like, well, apparently they don't need God because they're doing okay from a physical point of view, and you have to look past all of that and see their spiritual need. There's a book in the, uh, there, and there's a chapter in the book of Revelation, and the, as the book of Revelation opens, there are seven churches that, that Jesus begins to address, and one of them is Laodicea. Some of you recognize that name. It's the seventh of seven churches that Jesus addresses. Many people believe that the seven churches align with, uh, with moments and chapters and errors in history. I can see that alignment. It's not a hill I die on, but I can see that alignment. And certainly when we get to the Laodicean church, or perhaps the Laodicean church age, it describes something for us. Now, it's interesting. I was listening to Tony Evans a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about Laodicea. And it's really interesting because he talks about lukewarm water, and they, you know, in the next city they have cold water, and the next city they have warm hot springs, and by the time the water gets there, it's lukewarm. Jesus talks about that because they know they would understand that. But there's something else about this city. It was filthy rich. 
They were really, they're they up, upper west, upper east side, New York City. Um, and they, they had everything they ever needed. And they, and they became rich because there was, there was medical profession there, especially with the eyes. So they were into, you know, ophthalmology and all that. They, that's how that was kind of their claim to fame. And believe it or not, fashion. Those, those th three things. They were super wealthy. Laodicea was a super wealthy city. Uh, the, the experts in the eye, you know, medical field were there and, and fashion. And Jesus had these words. He said, look, I know you say I'm fine in Revelation 3. And you've acquired wealth and you don't need a thing. He said, but what you don't see is that you're wretched. You're not that rich. You're pitiful, poor. Watch this. Blind. You're the eye experts. And you're the fashion experts. And you're naked. Isn't it amazing? How Jesus knows the nuances. That's, that's fascinating. And this message for us, I believe, is if what, what, what would have happened if Jesus hadn't come to earth yet and he looked at Sarasota right now and he said, well, <laughs> they look fine to me. <laughs> Think about it. We would be so in, impoverished. Same thing with Nineveh, with Jonah. God said, no, I want you to see this different. He didn't want to go to, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. We know the story, right? He ran the other way. He said, I don't want to go because they look fine. They look all right. They looked privileged. But God said in Jonah 4, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. They can't tell their, right, their spiritual right hand from their left. Their spiritual IQ is zero. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned over that great city? That's the message. <laughs> to step out of that privilege. And finally, what happened is, of course, God convinced Jonah to go. <laughs> In Jonah chapter 3, the Ninevites believed God because they had everything except him. What a tragedy it would have been. What a tragedy it would have been to say, oh, they look fine. They don't, need, they don't need God. They declared a fast, all of them, and they emptied themselves from the highest level of, of, of society to the very lowest, and they put on sackcloth. We end with this. The king, whose identity is evidenced by a scepter, by a crown, by a robe, by a throne. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, who would have appeared to have a lot more than all the other folks, he rose off the identity of his throne. He took off the identity of his royal robes. He covered himself with a burlap, uncomfortable sackcloth, and he emptied himself. And he said, I am no longer as tall as God. There are people around you that look just fine. The message today is for us to have the same attitude, the same mindset of Christ, and step down and say, we've got a Savior. We've got a Savior who emptied himself. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you.
for this time today to remind us of the very essence of Jesus who loved us so much uh, and considered us better equal father with you and yet did not consider that equality to be selfishly held on to oh what a savior thank you father for that as always god you challenge us with the word to have that kind of that same set of lenses the same worldview and as you know god and all of our privilege that we swim in the deep end of it's it's tough to let go of that oreo so we've we ask god that the holy spirit do a work in us today maybe some are a little unsettled and like wow I need to let go a little bit more. Just pray, God, that you'll continue them in that flow of how you're drawing them and clarifying some things. Sometimes, God, that's a physical, material thing of letting go. Sometimes it is a a time thing of letting go. Sometimes it is a spiritual thing of letting go. Whatever, ever how you're moving, whether people sitting at home or right here in this room. We pray, Father, for those who've come kind of wondering what this whole thing is about at this relationship with between them and you and who in the world Jesus is and you've given us such a clear picture today and as we're in prayer if you if you're here and sitting in the room or if you're at home in your living room your couch your kitchen table wherever you might be your car and you've never exchanged your old life for Christ's new one. Let me explain what I mean by that. God, from the very beginning of time, when he created human beings, time as we know it, has desired to have not just relationship, but very intimate and close relationship with those whom he has created, us. Yet we recognize that we're separated from God, like Adam when he sinned, our natural tendency is to hide, to cover it up. We don't like to put our sins out on social media or publicly and just talk about it. We hide it. And that hiding is is evidence how we feel about God that we just instinctively know he's perfect and we instinctively know that we're not. And there's a gap. And religion steps in and says, hey, let me fill that gap. And unfortunately, it cannot self-help comes in and says oh you can bridge that gap by being good enough and unfortunately that's that's not true either we couldn't reach tall enough to come to God so our tall God came down to earth as we've seen today and he emptied himself he made himself nothing he became obedient to the to even obedience to death on the cross It's not just a religious thing. Listen, it's a real God and a real death and a real coming back from the dead. This is real stuff. And he did all of that for the very words that we just read, that he considered you better, that he didn't want to put you on the cross. He didn't want you to be penalized for your sin. God raised his hand and said, 
I'll send my son and he'll take that penalty for you. That is our Savior. If you want a relationship with God, try all you might and trying to be better. At the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow, you'll always be wondering, "Is that, did I get it good enough? You won't get a test grade back until you take your last breath. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait till then. Try all you might and try to be more religious. You'll always feel empty. So here's the step. We have a relationship with God through Christ and through Christ alone. It starts by you saying, I need you, God, specifically, I need a savior. And I wonder if your heart is already stirred wherever you are, again, in this room or sitting somewhere outside and in your home and work, et cetera. But I need a savior and I need a savior because of this gap. I'm a sinner. And my Savior, and God is perfect. I need a Savior as a go-between. And Jesus, last time I checked, was the only one that died for our sins. I wonder if you would start right there today, right now, between you and God. Nobody's going to point you out. It's the most important conversation you'll ever have in your entire human existence. God, I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I wonder if you'd start there. Second, Everybody's trusting in something, like I just said, good behavior, religion, all that. Jesus said, come and trust in me. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am who you are looking for. Trust in Christ alone. I wonder if you would utter those words to God in in being genuine. God, I need a savior and I trust in Christ alone. I'm not gonna have any kind of relationship outside of his sacrifice and as the go-between. And finally, let's talk about that exchanging your life. Look, you've been leading your own life just like all the rest of us did until we met Christ. And he says, I want you to turn that in just like you'd be going to a store and say, hey, I want to I I exchange here. I want to turn my old life in and I'm asking God, would you breathe new life in me? I need a savior. I'm a sinner. I trust in Christ alone. Oh God, would you breathe new life in me? Is that is that where you're at? Father, thank you for this quiet moment. Thank you, God, for a peaceful moment. But it cannot be substituted for peace in our hearts. So we pray, God, for those who are looking for you, that they will find peace between them and you today. Thank you, Father, for this word again. Thank you for our Savior who did not just come to show power. He came to show humility. Pray that we'll walk in those footsteps today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.